right before I turned 16, I uh, was at a revival service on a Tuesday night, realized that I was lost without Christ. That night, God gloriously uh, saved me, changed my life. And it was a, um, just a realization of a need for him that though I'd grown up in church and been around so much, I never realized how much I needed him until that Tuesday night. I turned 16 that uh, spring in April, and uh, without any hesitation or without actually remarkable deliberation in the small church I attended that summer, I directed the Vacation Bible School. I really did. Directed the whole thing, the, chose the curriculum, led the teachers, um, made sure there was food. Back in the day, we did real deal crafts like macrame. And so, so at any rate, I uh, just was over all of that and uh, transportation. We uh, brought kids in and big celebration afterward. And that was, that was my deal. And, 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 and it just occurred to me to do it. Uh, why, why would it all of a sudden at that point occur to me to direct a vacation Bible school, having just come to faith in Jesus Christ uh, just a few months earlier? Uh, the, the reason? Uh, God had gifted me with the gift of administration, the gift of leadership, and when you come to Christ, you receive spiritual gifts. Scripture says that. And all of a sudden, this gift started to evidence itself. Pretty, pretty quickly, right away, I began to serve in that way. I graduate high school, I head off to college, and when I do, uh, my second year there, I become an RA. Some of you serve in that capacity, so I became an RA. And as an RA, I had charge for about 28 guys on my hall, and uh, all of a sudden, they, would, they discovered they could come to me and talk to me about stuff in their lives. And they would. They, they would come and knock on my door and we'd sit in my room and we'd talk about whatever it was that was bothering them. And, and then word spread across campus. If you've got a problem, you can go talk to Jerry. And so people would come that I didn't know and they'd knock on my door and say, so-and-so sent me. And I would sit with my 19-year-old uh, fully developed brain. That's a joke. All right, and I would try to give counsel to these people who, would, who knocked on my door seeking that counsel. And across town was Converse College, which was an all-women's school. Well, it, the word spread over there. So here come Converse students, and they would come, and they'd knock, uh, not on my door. That was illegal then. They would, uh, they would come, and, and I would meet them at different places on campus, and I would sit and give them counsel as best I could. Why? Because as a follower of Jesus, there was the spiritual gift of shepherding that God had given me. I didn't know that then. I didn't know why. I didn't know why that I just so enjoyed, though it wore me out at times, that, uh, that time spent with people. The reality is, if you're in here this morning and you are a born-again follower of Jesus, you belong to Christ, you are gifted spiritually. When you come to Christ, you are given at that time not only the gift of salvation, but you're given spiritual gifts, and those gifts have a distinct purpose, and the purpose of those gifts is to serve the body. 
And if you are not serving the body with those gifts, I will tell you there will be this sense of emptiness, this space in your life that you know you ought to be doing something that you really aren't doing. And that was the case with me until the opportunities would arise and the Spirit would say, do that. And and, uh, at times I did. It is uh, the reality of all of us followers of Jesus that God uses us in our brokenness and in our weakness and uh, in our abilities or lack thereof to serve his church. And so we come in our uh, disciple-making way, we uh, talk about discovering God through worship, times like this, and equip university that James introduced to you again this morning, uh, belonging through membership and through a life group and uh, serving, that's what we're talking about today, here at 5182 and going everywhere else. And so this morning, that's why all the folks were about uh, the, the, the building, to give you an opportunity to use your gifts to serve the church. Well, the uh, early church has problem number three in their young life, in their young history. This is problem number three. Problem number one is Peter and John are arrested. They're the leaders. They're arrested. That's a problem. All right, problem number two in Acts 5 is Ananias and Sapphira are hypocrites. They say they've done one thing and they're giving one and they're giving, they indeed give another. And when it comes time for the offering, well, they die. And then we get to problem number three. People in the church aren't getting along with one another. I would say to you, it's not the absence of problems that makes a church a focused church. It is the church's response to problems that determines its direction. If you are looking for a problem-free church, you need to die. That's the only way you'll find one. In heaven, they do this thing perfectly. Down here, we do not What is the problem? The problem is unmet needs. What did we discover here? That the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let me give you just a little background. Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. The synagogue was the center of worship. The, it was the center of education. It was the community center. Uh, synagogues were located in every city. And some of those synagogues were Greek-speaking synagogues. Uh, this came about when Alexander the Great just stormed uh, the, the known world and introduced Greek, and when Rome became uh, the ruling empire, they didn't switch the language at all. It continued to be Greek everywhere. Greek was spoken even in Israel. And so you've got Greek-speaking widows, Greek-speaking Jews. You've got Hebrew-speaking Jews. And there's another thing that happens. And the other thing is that the early church adopted many practices already practiced in the temple. And we see them here. What were they? In the synagogue, 
in the synagogue was an alms collector. The alms collector, or there were several of them, the alms collectors had two kinds of collections they took. One kind of collection they took happened every Friday. So every Friday they would go house to house and business to business and ask for alms for the poor. It was either money or it was goods. That was called the basket. It was a large collection. They carried baskets and they would take those alms and then redistribute them to people who needed. So people who gave, gave, and people who needed, received. That was called the basket. In addition, there was a daily collection. The daily collection occurred uh, in, in uh, a different fashion, wouldn't be near as much because it was every single day, but people would give, and that was called the tray. The tray collection then received daily, distributed daily. The early church evidently adopted the basket and the tray and they are given to the widows and for some reason, we're never told why, the Greek-speaking widows are overlooked. The Jewish, uh, the Hebrew-speaking widows receive what they need. The Greek-speaking widows do not. Was it because they spoke Greek? We don't know. Was it because the Hebrew widows thought, hey, they're really not one of us or the Hebrew folk? We don't know. We just know that it was a problem that came to the forefront. John Stott says this, the devil's next attack, talking about this one, was the cleverest of the three. Having failed to overcome the church by either persecution or corruption, he now tried distraction. Notice the response of the apostles. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. So the apostles do not try to put any spin on the problem, do they? They don't downplay it. They don't dilute it. They simply call everybody together and say, hey, we got a problem. They bring it to the church. There are thousands of people in the church by now. And they call the thousands together and they say, we have an issue. I'm going to say to you that in any organization, there must be appropriate room to fail. There must be appropriate room to fail. At the simplest place, this must exist in your family. If your kids have to get it right every single time, if they have to, they will leave your roof as soon as they can because nobody can do that. And if everybody in your organization that you lead has to get it right every single time, you will see the organization you lead stop taking risks, stop trying things that may work, but aren't guaranteed to work. Now, I'm not talking about failure due to laziness or failure due to negligence. I'm just simply saying that in any organization, there's got to be a space where calculated risks are taken. And here, there is failure, and it doesn't shut the church down. It calls for a response. I remember early on when I came here as pastor and we would mess up. I mean, we still do. 
in case you're wondering, but we did then too. And we would mess up and somebody would call it to my attention. It freaked me out. I'm just saying to you, it freaked me out. I, I didn't have much confidence, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, we got to fix it. And I would just go in, in a frantic, you know, to, to fix things. And thankfully, through the years, I've discovered eh, we're going to not meet everybody's needs all the time. Uh, we're going to miss some things. And in, when we do, we've got to figure out why, and we've got to fix it. It saddens me now, it spurs me to action, and I'm grateful for years of mistakes. I mean that. And gracious people who have pointed them out and not written me or our church off. Uh, the principle that emerges from the problem is that all ministry matters. Look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should ser serve stubborn widows. Is that what they said? No. Well, if they're going to complain, go to McDonald's. That's not what they said. Look at this. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Notice they don't diminish the importance of serving tables, nor do they elevate their role above the role of those who need to serve tables. They simply have a division of responsibility. Somebody's got to serve tables. Somebody's got to pray and preach. One person can't do both. Feeding widows without preaching the word is the work of a good nonprofit. Preaching the word without feeding widows is the work of a good religious organization. Neither of those are the church. The church feeds widows and preaches the word. The church preaches the word and feeds widows. So God has called you to serve then. He's, he's gifted you in such ways so that we as a congregation can adequately serve. We have provided for you, you'll see it on the screen, a, a link. Uh, no, you don't want to write all that down. Just go to our website and go, it says up at the top, Discover Belongs Serve. Go to Serve. When you click Serve, you'll see Spiritual Gifts Inventory, and you'll discover how God has gifted you and how those gifts then, it'll give you summaries of how they can work in a local church. Do you know where I think uh, we best see this? And perhaps because it's so intense and intentional is all mission trips. We just got back from Ecuador. And uh, on a mission trip, you never know when you do a medical clinic, who's going to show up, how many people there are going to be. You just got to be ready. Whatever happens, you just got to be ready. That's just how it is. And so we... We, ha we get to a community, you drive however far it takes to get there, you start unloading all your stuff, right? You get it all set up, and then you see the church be the church. Say, what do I mean? What do you mean? Well, Molly Bergen, who's one of our college students, Molly was a remarkable traffic director. What do I mean by that? So once somebody has come through, maybe you call it triage or the, 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 the entry point, 
then they've got to either see physical therapy or the chiropractor or the medical doctor. They've got to see one of those people and they've got a little piece of paper that says who they got to see. And I would watch Molly and she would have a little kid. You know, she's walking around the kids on her arm and she's got multiple papers and she's just walking back and forth, taking these papers and people and identifying them, taking care of the kid, doing it all. It was amazing just to watch her. And then the person would get to who they needed to see. I did triage because I speak Spanish. But the folks would show up and I guess they looked at me and thought, oh, doctor. And so I'm writing down their stuff and all of a sudden they're getting super personal. And I don't handle that information quite well. And so I would look at them and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I just write it down. You want to talk about that? You wait till you get down there somewhere. Those people listen to this all day long. They can handle that stuff, not me. And so I just write it down, and I write their stuff down, and Chris Keller is a nurse. She's on the other side doing it. we got different people doing different things, just taking it down, giving people Molly. Molly's getting the people on down the row. And there was Jorge. Jorge's the bus driver. He, he was our driver all over Ecuador. And if you go on a mission trip, your bus driver is either your best friend or your worst enemy. Like you hope they can drive, because it's crazy. Jorge was an amazing driver. But then day one on the clinic, he did something that we never, ever expected. As a matter of fact, on all the mission trips I've ever been on, I've never seen anything like this. Day one, Jorge comes alongside me, and he sees what I'm doing. And he just gets down right beside me, and when he does, he starts talking to the people. These, these sweet people waiting to be seen. Many of them haven't seen a doctor in years. We would ask them the question, how long has it been since you've seen a doctor? It's been years since they've even seen a doctor. And Jorge would, and he began to do triage. Everywhere, every clinic we did, Jorge would do triage. And he would touch these people. He would hold their hands. And he would look them in the eye. And he would ask them questions. And then he would say them the, the things to me as if I didn't understand them. Never got that part. But he would say it to me. And I would write it down. I looked at him. I finally actually video did an interview with him. And I said, Jorge, tell me, why do you do what you do? Well, five years ago, Jorge was driving a bus for one of these uh, trips. He overheard the gospel, and the Lord gloriously saved him and saved his wife and saved his son and saved his daughter. And Jorge can't just drive a bus. No, he's not. All he's paid to do is sit on a bus. But no, he's not doing what he's paid to do. He's doing what the Spirit in him is saying. you got to do that. And he is doing the work of the Lord. That's how God works, isn't it? He provides. That leads then to the solution. People among us. Look at this, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Why seven? Why men? Well, it, it was just another custom among the Jews. When they had an issue in their organizational structure, they had a practice. Find seven men and fix it. That's how they did. They simply went, okay, this is what we've known for years. 
We'll find seven men and address the issue. The solution was in their midst. And the solution to the needs here at 5182 are sitting in the room this morning. That hasn't changed. There is nothing God has called us to do, but that he will not provide the people to do it. That's how he works. We do not have a need as a church that you cannot meet. And if you're not serving the church, your question ought to be, God, how can I serve your body? As a matter of fact, there are cards that look like this that have every possibility to serve here at Grace on them. We just had the ministry fair. If you got here late, if you missed that, just grab one of these as you go. Fill it out. Bring it back next week. Turn it in. And when you do, whatever you circle, that ministry leader will be in touch with you. I would encourage you college students to do the same. So they make their choices. The men are described, but there's an interesting characteristic of every single one of them. They all have Greek names. Isn't that fascinating? They all have Greek names. Now, we don't know for sure if they were all born Greek or if they have taken on Greek names. We, we don't know, but they all have Greek names, which implies they speak the language. So they can go to these Greek-speaking widows and speak truth and say, here's what we're doing, and talk to them in what has become their heart language. This is so clever. It's so smart, isn't it? It just makes sense. They do what God has enabled them to do. I shared this, uh, but it's really worth sharing again. I just can't think of anything better. Here's how this plays out. Someone spills sweet tea, which is a crime. The person with the gift of prophecy says, I knew that was going to happen, saw it coming. The person with the gift of service runs and grabs the mop. The person with the gift of teaching says, let me show you how to hold your cup better next time. The person with the gift of exhortation says, you know, you're not the only one to spill tea. But if you're going to go the rest of your life without spilling tea, these three things will have to happen. The person with the gift of giving already has another cup of sweet tea waiting. The person who leads makes sure the mop gets back in the closet, the towel to clean it up gets put in the washing machine, and that the floor is completely free of sweet, sticky tea. The person with the gift of mercy says, I remember once when I spilled tea. I know how you feel. That's how we're all gifted. Everybody comes to a situation and you come with this giftedness that you have. You'll discover this if you've not done a spiritual gifts inventory. You have this and your giftedness affects your response. Well, what is the result? Look at it, healthy growth. The word of God continued to increase. That means the apostles continue to preach and pray. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. People continued to hear the gospel. The distraction did not destroy them. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's remarkable. There were 18,000 priests who served the temple. Not all at once. They rotated in and out. 
But something happened. Evidently, they came in and they saw the large gathering of worshipers and they thought, what is this about? But what's interesting is that their conversion, now what was a priest's job to represent people before God? Their conversion, the conversion of the priests, the actual leaders in Judaism to Christianity did not come only because of the hearing of the word, but because of the doing of the word. They heard and they saw. Wow, these people take care of their own. They had a problem that they solved. They don't fight with each other. There must be something real about this. It's remarkable. All commentators agree that priests, by virtue of following Christ, would lose their jobs. And they lost their jobs for such faith. I'm convinced that we will not win people to Christ merely by, although it's critical, preaching and prayer. But we'll have to serve some tables too. We've done that for years here. The night before we moved into this building right here where you sit, we have been having as a church, some of you were around then, a 48-hour prayer vigil. We didn't all gather together. It was one after another praying in my time that I chose them was 2 a.m., on a Sunday morning before our first service in this building. I went to what would be my office for quite some time, out front on the left as you go out. I went to that room and closed the door. I had no carpet then. It was a concrete floor, and I got down and began to pray. It was an hour that I was to pray between 2 and 3 a.m., And in that hour, the Lord, by his sovereign grace, directed me to Jeremiah 32. I went to that passage and opened up God's word. And as I did, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, has a bit of reprieve in chapter 32. It's almost like there's another book tucked in the middle. There's another message that comes barreling through, and that message is one of remarkable hope. I began to read that, and the Lord said, this is for you too. I got my pen out, and I began to write promises God gave me It has the date on it. When praying before our first service in the new building. There's maybe a dozen or so of them. They sit on my desk or in my desk. And there are weeks that I need them. The first Sunday in October of this year, we will have 
a 20th anniversary celebration down at the high school, one service at 10A. I will share with you that list. I look around this room and I see the fulfillment of it. One of the things that that God said to me is, I will gather back those who have sinned. I've seen him do that time and time again. There are other things there. Those have fueled me as pastor here. What you may not understand, and you may not come back after I tell you, but I'll tell you, nobody on your staff has ever done what we do. None of us. Not a single one of us has done the job we have right now. Until now. God does not call the equipped, someone says. He equips the called. He takes a ready and willing heart and says, I'll use you. It's just in Ecuador. Very busy trip. I was the primary interpreter on our side of things, so that just makes you busy. It taxes your brain a lot. But I was also finishing a book. And God in his grace, while in Ecuador, in quietness of moments, even in waking from sleep, said, Jerry, I'd like to drop in, into your heart the next 15 or 20 years. I began to write. As he spoke, I didn't say a word to anyone, just tucked it away. God, is this you? Is this what you have for us? Is, is this grace? Is this, is this what we look at? And I, it, was a, it was a burdening vision, an exciting one, but a burdening one. I came back to elders' meeting and I said, I don't even know if I can share with you the meat of it. I can just say I get both excited and burdened about the next 15 to 20 years at Grace. Those elders had papers in their hands that I'd handed out. They were all blank. While I was just speaking in those terms, they had begun to write. And they said, tell us, tell us. As I did... Around that room, tears began to come to our faces as they said, can I share what I wrote? Can I share what I wrote? Would you listen to what I have here? And so the first Sunday in October, with more work to get this in better form, I'll share with you what we think God has for the next 15, 20 years. I will say to you that 
that one of the things God has done back in the day, some of you older folks know this, you younger ones don't, but we used compasses. They were metal, and they could double as weapons. They had a pretty sharp point on one side, did they not? Yes, like if you carried that into school today, they would arrest you. So, but that is super sharp point on one side that would get the attention of whoever was sitting in front of you pretty quickly. And you would loosen this little thing and push that pencil out and then tighten it up and make your perfect circle with that compass. One of the things God has done in the first 20 years is to gradually loosen up the compass and push it out and tighten it back up and say, Jerry, I'd like to use this ragtag group of people with all our weaknesses and inabilities and deficiencies to reach folks even from Black Mountain and, and Rutherfordton and and the west side of Burke County and uh, Mitchell County even. I will say to you, if we do what God has called us to do, you will have to serve like you've never served. You will have to give as perhaps you've never given. And we will go places we've never gone. And I believe we will see what we've never seen. I look forward as I work on this with our leadership to sharing this with you in just a few weeks. Say, so what do we do in the meantime? Discover God. Belong. Serve. Next week we'll talk about going. What's next? If you don't have one of these, just find one as you leave. James is sitting in the back. James, if you'll make sure there are plenty of these to go around. They'll be at the next steps desk. Take it with you today. If you have questions, the person to email is David G at graceforall.org. David G. David Grotstaff. He can help you. Can I pray for you? Lord, you have called us to do your work. I, I can, and not in a way, honestly, I don't think, if I know my heart of false humility, identify with those early apostles who when the others saw that they were ignorant and unlearned men, said, wow, they've been with the Lord. As pastor, I've stumbled. I feel sometimes as, as much as I've walked straight. I feel sometimes we've made as many mistakes as we have gotten things right. And yet you, by your grace, and I am overwhelmed by that. I really am. Have been faithful. You use broken people to do whole work. And so, Father, I uh, pray that
as people sign up to serve today where they're gifted or called, that they would experience a joy in serving the body. I pray that there would be a fullness. May they not limit themselves by their own capacity, but know that you, you're able to increase that. Help us to lead well. A staff to be diligent and ready as elders. To see down the road, not just around the corner. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you that according to Hebrews 12, for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. You were the true and remain the true visionary. You saw us not in our sin, but in yourself and died, setting aside the shame. And you intercede for us now. Without you, we are nothing. We acknowledge that, and we graciously move forward, as did the early church. Our goal is not to steer clear of problems, but to watch you graciously solve them. And take joy in that. We love you, Jesus. This is all for you. In your name we pray. Amen. As you leave, again, grab one of these. If you're a first-time guest, just see somebody at the Next Steps desk and let them know you are a first-time guest. As we go, chairs on both sides need to come down, and we've got tables we'll be bringing out that will be set up for our family meeting tonight at 5. So chairs down and against the walls on either side. Thank you so much.